let's take our Bibles, if you don't already have it, let's open them up, and I want to start reading Genesis 6, which is, man, there's some cool stuff in Genesis 6. Okay, when man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took them as their wives, any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their ways on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten, and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Okay, that's chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 9, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. It said, Noah walked with God. Here we see the first shadow of Messiah, Jesus. Messiah is righteous and blameless in his generation, and he also walked with God. Like Noah, Messiah also called all from his generation to repent or face the wrath of God. So Noah, in the power of God, moved over water 
just as Jesus in the power of God also walked over water. So we see a little hint of Jesus in Noah calling out to every single person in his generation, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And in this case, it's the wrath of God is at hand. But he gave them 969 years to get it together, right? Remember Methuselah. Um, Verse 11, this escaped me about the first thousand times that I read it. The earth became corrupt before God. The earth was filled with violence. When God saw how corrupt the earth was, for all flesh had corrupted its ways on earth. God said to Noah, I have decided to put an end to all flesh for the earth is filled with violence. Because of them, I'm about to destroy them along with the earth. It's almost as if he's talking about the earth like it's another character in the story. And the earth is personified. It's given human qualities. Um, Because first of all, when I say the earth or the whole earth, we tend to think of that means the people. And that's not wrong. That is right. It does mean the people. Second, when I talk about the earth, it tends to be taken as the big place where everybody lives. But scripture paints the earth in a very different light. For example, don't worry about this, but just listen. Job 20 and 27, the earth shall rise up against him. How will the earth rise up against him? Isaiah 26, 19, the earth will give birth to her dead. Now that's a picture. What is it a picture of? The earth will give birth to her dead. Come on. Giving birth is synonymous with what? What do you give when you give birth? You give life. So the earth gives birth to her dead, which is what? Resurrection. That is the way you say resurrection in Hebrew, giving birth to the dead. Oh, cool. We call it walking dead show on AMC. Kind of creepy. The Bible calls it giving birth to her dead. Jeremiah four. Therefore, the earth will mourn. What? And the heavens above grow dark. How can the earth mourn? What, what do you do when you mourn? You cry. How does the earth cry? It rains. So you see how cool these pictures are that God gives us? The earth is mourning. Um, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Ha-eretz. You say in Hebrew, God's first design, his first creation is the unimaginably beautiful space. And he says to mankind, I made a space, now you fill it. And mankind says, okay. So they populate and fill the earth. And how'd we do by Genesis 6? Really awfully, right? Terrible. So God says, okay, 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 okay. I tell you what, I have to destroy my first creation because you guys screwed it up so bad. But then God says, okay, how about this? Y'all make a space and I'll fill it. What's he talking about? Do you know how many pages 
of this book are dedicated to telling us how God created the entire universe. One page, two chapters. Then God says, I need you to build a place for me. And we have over, I think it's 30 or 40% of the Torah is dedicated to how to build the temple, the tabernacle, this much. Two pages, two chapters for the entire universe. But God says, you humans, you're going to need some instructions. So let's dedicate about 30 or 40 chapters to it. I mean, isn't that funny? You make a space, I'll fill it. How do we do? Okay. For a while. Then what happened in 70 AD? So God says, okay, 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 okay. I tell you what. I'll make a space and I'll fill it. And what's he talking about? That's right. That's where he's always wanted to be. The temple was a picture of us. I think we are the temple. Jesus said, destroy the temple and, th- and in three days I'll raise it up again. He wasn't talking about the temple in Jerusalem. He was talking about his body. Every God lives in a temple. This is since ancient times. Our God is no different. He wants to live in a temple, but not a temple made by hands as if he needed anything. He wants to live in the temple that is you. Isn't that cool? I'll make a space, you, and then I'll fill it. Because when you make a space and I fill it, not so good. When I made the space and you fill it, not so good. But thanks for playing along, God says. I appreciate, and you know, God is really, yeah, I appreciate the spirit. God is looking for partners. Because he could do all this all by himself, couldn't he? Couldn't God just do anything? without any help from humans. But this is the beauty of God's plan is he doesn't want to. He wants Kyle's help for some reason to spread the kingdom in Midland. I don't know why. He's going to goof it up. I know, but I kind of like the guy, God says. I need Laura. I, 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 I can do it without her. But man, it's so much more fun when she and I are working together, God says or Michaela, or Abigail, or Shelby, or any one of you. God can do your whole life without you. You just sit on the side and watch, and it's going to be spectacular. But God's looking for partners that are willing to work with him, and I want to be one of his partners. So, hopefully you do too. Um, verse six, chapter 6, verse 13. Y'all, this is... This is us just kind of taking a, a, a small walk through chapter 6. We're going to just take a few verses. Chapter 6, verse 13, it says, And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. The Hebrew says, The end of all flesh has come before my Panim. And it's weird because the way the word panim is translated, and here's where you get to do some more Hebrew roots digging. The word pan sounds like bread in Spanish. The word pan in Hebrew is face. The word panim, do you know what im does to every word in Hebrew? 
you have a cherub, cherubim. Yes, it's plural. It makes it plural. Good job. So panim. So God says, the end of all flesh has come before my faces. Stop, the rabbi said. Hang on. Put on the brakes. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, is what traditionally Jews say. They don't say the Lord our God. Uh, he is the Lord our God, the, uh, the Lord um, alone. It's the word alone and one are the same. Just like in Spanish, solo can mean alone or one. It's the same in Hebrew. Echad. One or alone. Anyways. So, why? The rabbi said, if God is one, why would he say that all flesh has come before my faces? All right. I'm going to hand off the ball and you guys run it across the end zone. This is where you go. Okay. Let's work through this. What, what, what could this mean? Okay, could be talking about the Trinity. I'm just going to brainstorm right down your ideas. Uh, Trinity, could be. Of course, if the Trinity were clear uh, from Old Testament times, no Jew would have a problem with the Trinity. But Jews do not accept the Trinity because they say that is polytheism. That's the, many, that's the whole many God things. And that's why they don't get along so well with Christians. Because Christians are polytheists. Ah. Uh, could be though. Okay, so we might be the faces, us, because we are in his image, his imagio dei, image of God. Okay, what else? How many faces does God have? How many faces do you have? See, you're so Western. You do not have one face. Show me the faces that you have. Oh, yeah. Like when I'm happy, I've got one face. When I'm sad, I've got one face. Yeah. Because this is one face, but this is another face, and this is another face, right? Could be just emotions. Could be just emotions. But I don't think it's only emotions. All flesh has come before my faces. I think emotions is good, but it's still lacking. Because your face doesn't just show your emotion. It's also what you get just when you get born. You get a face. You can change the face according to your emotion. But what else? What's in your face? What's on your face? What does your face do? It expresses. So it's the center of expression. Your mouth's on your face. That's really a place for expression. Yeah, good. It's what you're feeling inside. Your eyes are in your face. Eyes are the window to the soul. So the rabbis start saying, wait a minute. Maybe God does have many faces, just like we do. He gets angry. He gets sad. He gets excited. It's who he is. It is the window to his soul. It's also the place where he speaks from. Oh man, there's a whole lot there in God's panim, his faces. So the way they translate it, guess what? 
how do you, what's the word you use to translate all of who God is that's expressed and seen through his face? This is how they translate it, in the presence of the Lord. But in the Hebrew, it says, before God's faces. So that's how they captured the totality of God was just to say his presence. Because that kind of covers it all, doesn't it? If I'm in his presence, I'm in before all of God, whatever that may be. So that that was pretty cool. Um, chapter 6, verse 14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. Now, I want to show you a slide. That, not that slide. We've already seen that slide. This is what it looked like for Noah. This is what it sounded like for Noah. This is the Hebrew translated literally. A light you do to an ark and to a cubit, you complete it from two over it and a door of the ark in its side, you put unders 20 and 30, you do. <laughs> How would you like to speak that language? Oh, so they had to have people translate this to English. You say, gee, that's so backwards. Uh, I beg to differ. This was the first language, so I think we're probably backwards. Uh, so we can't point fingers and go, well, it's so hard to understand. Because that's probably like, well, that's so easy. But to us, whoa. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower second and third decks. That's how the Revised Standard Version translates this. A light you do to an ark. Make a roof for the ark. And to a cubit you complete it. From to over it. <laughs> I don't even understand that. But that is what Noah had to work with. Now, we're going to see a movie called Noah that you may or may not have seen before. Your church probably thought you were a heretic if you watched it. Uh, a lot of churches went to go see it and were furious because the movie was so, so bad, according to their Western understanding of the scriptures. But when you realize this movie by Aronofsky with, I think it's... Um, Russell Crowe, Anthony Hopkins, Emma Watson, top, top actors. When you realize the movie was not intended to be a line-by-line -line narration of Genesis chapter 6, and you realize the movie is actually incredibly interesting because do you know what the movie was patterned after? All of the Jewish midrash around Noah. And there's tons of Midrash around Noah. Midrash is parable. All those weird things that we have to kind of learn how to explain because they're just odd, that's what a Midrash is. So the whole movie is based off of Jewish Midrash. And it's very accurate with the Jewish Midrash. Yes. What were the, what were the giant rock creatures? The Watchers. Yeah, what were they? Like I forgot. Were they like fallen angels? Yeah. They're fallen angels. Yeah. Yeah. Book of Enoch. Book of Enoch talks about the watchers. All I'm saying is when you see this movie, 
I think at first you're going to be that your your first reaction is I'm repulsed or I'm repelled by that. I don't like that because it's not in the Bible. But when you realize, look, they are simply exploring possibilities. God didn't tell us what this means. He said, all flesh has been corrupted before my faces. And Moses went, what does that mean, God? And God said, you figure it out. What? Don't do any work on the Sabbath. I'm sorry, God. What, what do you mean by work? You figure it out. Oh, geez. Well, what if I don't figure it out right? That'll be it. What if, what if I don't do what you want? It'll be what you say it is. I give you the authority to figure out what I mean. So this is the way the Jews approach the Bible. Well, I got to figure this out. So it gets really fun and really interesting when there's multiple ways to interpret things. Uh, Zacchaeus climbs up in a fig tree. Why would he climb up in a fig tree? Why does the author tell us he climbs into a fig tree? Why not just say Zacchaeus climbed up into a tree because he was a man of short stature? There's no reason to tell us it's a fig tree. Unless you're Jewish. And that adds something to it. Well, what does it add, Mr. Dean? Good question. Go figure it out. It's left open. It is left open. Now, we have to be careful because Midrash is not inspired truth, teaching. The way we read the text is the plain meaning, face value of the text. So when it says, my spirit shall not abide with man forever, for he is flesh, his days shall be 120 years. God wants us to ask why 120 why is that important? And God says, great question. Go figure it out. You know? Yes. So whenever it's talking about the sons of God at the beginning of Genesis 6, uh -huh. you think those are like angels or something? And then also the offspring of the sons of God with the daughters of mankind, are those the Nephilim? Okay. Great question. Let's hold the Nephilim stuff because I want to do a whole day on Nephilim after the movie. Because the Nephilim... The fallen ones. Isn't that like what Goliath was or something? Yes, people think Nephilim means a race of giants. Also, the Nephilim means sounds like the fallen ones. Here you see the im again, Nephilim. There is a whole bunch of cool stuff around the Nephilim. So let's talk about that. Great question, but I'm just going to ask you guys to be patient and wait um, a little bit longer. Not to you and me. Right. To the Jewish people. But like, did he still know what he wanted? Like, was there something he still wanted? I do or think there's something he still wanted. Mm -hmm. I do think he had an intention. He had a point. The point of saying you figure it out is this is not a life where God says, I'm the boss, you're my slave, go and do that. It sounds like that. It feels like that, especially to people outside of Christianity. They think you're just a bunch of fuddy-duddies that don't have any fun and you just follow a bunch of rules. See, with God, geez, um, does God know everything? Would you say God knows everything? Yes? yes? Okay. Um, Deuteronomy 8 says, God says, these 40 years, I led you in the wilderness to test you in order that I might know what's in your hearts. 
Why would God have to test them? Apparently, he didn't know what was in their hearts, so he tested them in order to find out what was in their hearts. You say, oh, okay, Mr. Dean, that's, that's a little fuzzy. Okay, hang on. Genesis 22, Abraham, Isaac. Abraham has Isaac on the altar. He's getting ready to slam the knife into his neck and completely slaughter him and drain him so he can offer him as a sacrifice. And he goes like this, and the angel says, stop! Abraham, don't lay a hand on the child. And Abraham's like, okay, good timing. And it says, and the Lord said, now I know that you would not withhold your son, your only son from me. Wait a minute. I thought God God knew everything. So why does it seem like he doesn't? Oh, he's testing us. For who? For us or for him? What about Sodom and Gomorrah? Was that just an exercise in futility? Because the angels of the, the two angels and God, I'm going down to Sodom and Gomorrah And the scripture says, look it up, it's Genesis 18, to find out whether or not the reports that have come up are true. You're God. You don't need to find out anything. You already know everything. What's going on here? It's like, we all just assume God knows everything, yet the stories in the Bible tell us he doesn't. So either the Bible is contradicting itself or there's something we're not getting. We're not understanding. And I think this is where God says, you want to have some fun? Yeah. Let's figure this out. See, I didn't make it easy. I made it so you got to work. You got to struggle. You got to get involved and you got to play the game with me. So God has an absolute intention in mind. Well, what does it mean? Does God know everything or not? And God says, cool. What's the word for to know in Hebrew? Well, the word for to know in Hebrew is yada. And it means to conceptually, cognitively, cerebrally know and understand facts and concepts. Just like it means for you and me. It means that in Hebrew. But you know what else it means in Hebrew? Read chapter 4 verse 1, Abigail. Listen to this. Darn it. Okay, your, your Bible, it does the work for us, which is awesome. But does anybody have like an English standard version? Mm, it may be in there. King James version, new King James version. Read yours. I don't know. What is your, what is chapter one? Four one. There it is. Okay, there it is. Now, Adam knew his wife. You know what the verb is in Hebrew? For to know? Yada. But wait, in that version, which her Bible does the work for us, and it says, he made love to his wife. What? Wait, which verse was it again? 4-1. 4-1. 4-1. 4-1. 4-1. It just says the man was intimate. The man was intimate. Good, that's good too. That's right also. God says, good, good job. You got it. He said, wait a minute, that's not clear. What does to know mean? See, to a Hebrew, to know can also mean to experience intimately. Adam knew his wife. He experienced her, hubba hubba, intimately. So intimately did he know her, she conceived and bore a son. Holy moly. Well, how does that help us? Plug that information that God 
For God, knowledge is not only cerebral, it's experiential. In other words, you and me serve a God who doesn't just know what's going to happen to us. He wants to experience with us our lives. When you cry because you've lost a loved one, God experiences that with you and he cries with you. When you're standing knee deep in filth because you've gotten yourself into a mess through addiction or sexual promiscuity or whatever it is and you're saying, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. God says, I'll stand right next to you. I'm not going to save you. I'm sorry. That's your problem, but I'm here for you. And as long as you're here, I'll stand right next to you. That's our God. So, back to Deuteronomy 8. I tested you these 40 years in order to find out what was in your heart. In other words, I wanted to live all your faithlessness and your idolatry and your grumbling with you because I love you so much. And I want to know what it's like to be with you. Cool. Abraham. See, God had never experienced Abraham, his faith with Abraham until God comes into Abraham's dimension of time and, and is watching and feeling with Abraham what it would be like to kill my own son. And God says, ah, now I know. Now, did God know previous? Of course he did. He had that knowledge, but he'd never experienced it with Abraham yet. Oh, so the Bible doesn't contradict itself. No, it's just that we don't understand what words mean fully. And Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, I know what's going on, but I want to experience what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. You and I serve the only God in the history of the universe who loves us so much that he says, it's not enough for me to sit on my throne in heaven and know what you're going to do. That's great, but I want to walk next to you in all your strengths, victories, and failures because that's how much I love you. I'm going to serve that God for the rest of my life. Praise God, he wants to experience life with us. So why do I tell you that? Because God said, I'm going to write my Bible. Now I could write it to where everybody understands everything and there's no problems ever, but that's so boring. I'm going to write it to where you go, well, what does that mean? And God says, figure it out. Let's figure it out together. And I think that's marvelous because there are things in the word that are doctrine, that are truth, that are salvific. You could say they have salvation as its goal. God didn't say, well, figure that out. And if you, if you get it wrong, that's okay. Not at all. But um, those kinds of things don't lead themselves to Madrash. But there are other things in the text that are very open to Madrash. And God's thinking, this going to be fun. Like this, Adam, Adam, Dom, um, Mem. Like that Madrash that you had was so cool. And God, isn't that cool? Are the, is it true? Absolutely true. I don't know, but I like it. And it works. I learned something new. God says, great. 